This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everybody. Hope you're well. Thanks for tuning in. I've got a conversation with the one and only Kelly Schaefer from Atheist Until the Dirt to share with you. Now, the catalyst for our chat is due to the launch of a debut album from Till the Dirt. It is called Outside the Spiral, and it's an absolute cracker. So we talk all about the album. We get into the distant past and discuss fallen bass guitar icon Roger Patterson and other topics to do with Atheist. And of course, these days, I quite like talking about topics and subjects on the political spectrum, so we get into that as well. Now, if you've tuned in via the podcast apps, I have a tune to share with you. This one is called Starring Roll, taken from outside the spiral. Once it's done, we'll dive into the chat. You people on YouTube, you know the drill by now. I can't play music on the platform, so you'll hear the conversation straight away. Either way, let's get to it. Andrew, 
I'd rather know you. <laughs> I'm great, my friend. I'm sorry, man. The uh, last interview went a little longer than it should have. Uh, yeah, John, John texted me, mate. No, that's all right. Were you dealing with a bit of a punisher, were you? I just Facebook messenger. I, I looked you up and found you because I felt terrible. <laughs> so oh, yeah. I see a message from me on your Facebook. <laughs> oh, sweet. No worries at all, brother. Yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, on, on that note, you must be, is it, is it interesting to you or intriguing to you how, uh, how much interest there is in what you're doing now from Australia? Oh man, it's a blessing, you know, I mean, I'm, um, I'm certainly not 25 years old anymore. So it's, uh, it's nice to be able to, uh, to be involved in something that, you know, that feels, uh, you know, feels like it has its place. And, uh, at the same time feels like, you know, um, like I'm, you know, moving things forward. So, uh, mm. yeah, it's really hard. Whenever you make music, you just hope that people, you know, you hope people like it. And, uh, I mean, you know, some people say that they don't care whether anybody likes it, but I do, Yeah, <laughs> you know, I want, I want to make music that people give a shit about, you know? So yeah, it's really exciting. My friend, it's, it's nice. So far, so good. And I waited for two years to put this music out. So, <laughs> so oh, it's yeah. nice to hear a little feedback, you know, especially the feedback we're getting. So it's nice. I think it's How the year so far. Yeah. I'm great, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. It's Thanks. just been, um, I, you know, I work, I'm a journo during the daytime and, um, I work from home. So I have your music cool. on and I, I often have atheist on in the background. I've got to say I'm an old fan. Thank so, you. uh, <laughs> it was interesting that's to awkward. hear what yeah, it was interesting. So, to what do you think? I mean, as, as a guy that's um, listened to atheists for a while, I mean, how does this, you know, was, was it uh, was it disappointing or was it uh, enlightening or you know what I mean? Like, how did it feel when you heard the record? What did you expect? Um, it wasn't what I expected, in a very cool. positive way. <laughs> okay, so okay. I, I mean, there's no point in doing another sort of tech deathy sort of thing like you're doing with atheists because you've got yeah. atheists as that vehicle. And the band, I've got to say, the band you got around you at the moment, atheists, is just fantastic. You know, Thank those you. live videos yeah, are just them. unbelievable. Um, so I'm really honoring Roger's memory and and what you're doing, you know. And I think that's 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 what Thank me you. as an old fan, that's what you love to see. But just on uh, just on outside the spiral, I think it's the album of the year so far. And I'm not I'm not just saying that to you. The reason I say okay. that is because great albums at first you go, What is this? It's a bit like a painting, it takes a lot a long time to absorb it, but then it gets its hooks into you. And you keep listening to it. And and I'll go a bit deeper. The reason I love it so much is because I'm from the 90s. I'm 45, so I'm from the 90s. And I grew up with I Hate God, Corrosion of Conformity, Atheist, Mm. um, Stone Temple Pilot, Sponge. I can hear that in the music. So it's not even... It's not even that it's like a, a blend of atheist and um, those mm-hmm. bands that I mentioned, but it's this brand new extreme metal extravaganza that takes its inspiration from some of these 90s alternative sounds. And I think that's a beautiful thing, mate. Thank you, man. God, that's nice to hear, you know, because that was, um, it wasn't the intention, but it was the uh, the effect that me and Scott Burns felt, you know, at the end of the record, you know, when we were listening to it, we were like, you know what, for, for better, for worse, this is... Uh, these are all the things, you know, th- th- there's been a period of time where people sort of, I think modern, the last tw- 10 to 12 years, a lot of modern metal, extreme metal fans sort of missed out on the great things about the 90s. You know, there was a lot of really great bands, good songwriters, good good moments that were very kind of metal-esque, but they also like dipped their toe in in, uh, in other feelings you know alice mm. chain's old sound garden had yeah, um, mark lanigan you know there was a lot of a lot of sorrow in in that in that seattle scene and then i also really loved you know this the desert rock or desert metal caius hermano uh you know and the atomic bitch wax and, and stuff like that mm. i love that old sabbathy you know and so and I always felt like, you know, I've always loved both of those kinds of music. To me, they were both equally as heavy, just different. And uh, so so in, in, in the course of writing this record, I didn't mean to do it that way. But I just think that the the auto, the automatic natural things that I love the most came out in this record. And um, and it, it feels like it's landing at the right time, you know, because something's got to give. Everything has gone faster than it can go and heavier than it can go. And as cookie monster as you can be and you know what i mean it's just everything is all these perfect records everything is real pristine and perfect and the production is just you know i don't know and i i just i feel like this is raw this is as close to a punk vibe as you know not not punk rock per se but the way it was made you know uh was very full of flaws and full of the way you're not supposed to make a record and uh and i think that shines through on it and hopefully people will feel that when they listen to it 
Keith Richards has this awesome saying as a muser, and I know you relate to this. Uh, it was be so tight you can afford to be loose, and that's what I feel like you've done on this album. Yeah, well, thank you, man. I, 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 I make no bones about the fact that there's tons of mistakes. There's tons of, uh, you know, there's moments on this album where the, you know, the guitars weren't perfectly in tune. And I was like, I don't give a fuck. Leave it that way because that's how it is live. Every single time you fucking step on stage, that's how it is. You know what I mean? Like the guitars are never perfectly in tune. They're never synced perfectly. The, the drums are never perfectly hit. You know what I mean? It's never, ever, ever that way. So why, why does it need to be that way on a record? I did all these vocals on a handheld 58 mic in my in my dining room with my three-year-old sitting on the couch. Nice. Um, you know what I mean? Like everything Beautiful. about this was done like super old school, uh, as old school as you can be in a digital, in a digital age. And, uh, I love that it came together in that way. So, uh, so I think that, um, you know, there was, there wasn't a lot of thought of what this was supposed to be or, or anything. I just started writing during COVID and I got locked down and just felt a lot of, of unusual feelings that I hadn't felt as an artist uh, ever. I don't think anybody ever felt that, you know, the things that we felt when we got locked down, I don't know how it was there, but, uh, in, in the United States, it was fucking terrifying. You know, we had a horrible leaders and, and, um, you know, and just, uh, things were being handled in a way that I didn't really feel like I didn't, I didn't know if I was going to survive, <laughs> you know I mean? Uh, so I was writing from a desperation place that I don't know that I'll ever get back to. So I'm really glad that I wrote 25 songs while I was in that headspace for this album or for, for, for this band, you know? So I've got a, I've got a lot of music sitting on, in the wings. So I hope that people will relate to, um, you know, the different styles and the hybrid nature. And, and, you know, it's, it's important because you're allowed to do anything artistically, you know, there are no rules. And I like the idea of, uh, of blending these styles because I feel like there's a lot of extreme metal people that have a lot of love for Soundgarden. I feel like there's a lot of uh, Soundgarden fans that have a lot of love for extreme metal. And um, I just think at the end of the day, if it's heavy, it's heavy, you know, whether it's slow or, or fast, um, you know, it all belongs to the, you know, it all has a place in our heart as metal fans. You know, when you go to European festivals, you know, something that never happens in the United States is, you know, European festivals are full of bands that, you know, you could have Mr. Big and you could have Morbid Angel. You could have yeah. fucking, you know, all these different. And, and the thing I love about European metal fans are, are just, that that they're they're willing to listen good music if it's got an edge to it you know then we're into it you know we're cool it doesn't there's no gatekeeping there's no oh you're not allowed to listen to that if you listen to this uh that's how it is in the states though it's very segregated and i don't like it <laughs> so uh, yeah you know i don't know i can tell the difference in the press that i've done for this album um for the last two days i've done press exclusively in new zealand and australia man, you guys are so smart and you fucking totally get it, you know? And I've done a couple of interviews in America where they're just like, it's just confused, you know? And just like, oh, I, you know, they, everybody feels a need to put something in a category. Hmm. Like, oh, what is this? I don't know what this is. And it's like, well, that's good. That's good that you can't immediately put it in a fucking category. That's not a bad thing. It's a, it's a futuristic thing, you know? It's a, hmm. it's a, it's a moving of, uh, moving of the, of the, the movement, you know, uh, you know, yeah. things have to evolve in order for them to survive. And, you know, back in the early days of atheists, people used to ask me like, how do you see, you know, how do you see death metal moving forward? And I was like, people need to learn how to play they need to learn yeah. because there was a lot of sloppy playing in the early days of, of, uh, extreme metal. And that's exactly what everybody did. I mean, now you have these virtuoso musicians that are 18, 19 years old that are just fucking stunning musicians. And, uh, that, you know, we didn't have back in the late eighties and early nineties. And so, uh, so I would say with this till the dirt record, I feel like, uh, this is a, a signal to everyone that, that, um, you know, you can combine all the things that you love there. Are, there's no gatekeeping habit. You can listen to whatever you want to listen to all music is either good or it's not good, you know, and, uh, and you can, you can infuse all of those elements into your music and unapologetically, I think you should be able to anyway, but it is hard. <laughs> no, no, I agree, and I, and I think it's so great that you, as as a um, elder statesman, if you like, of the extreme metal genre, someone who was there when it 
went from being fairly primitive in the late 80s to, to what you what you guys, what Cynic, what Death did and really bought the genre, the, the, high, you started, the tide started getting higher and higher and higher. And then you brought some other guys along with you for the journey on this one here too. So you got Paul Masvidal, an amazing guitarist, and of course the greatest bass player around these days, certainly maybe the greatest bass player of all time in extreme metal alongside your fallen comrade, Steve DiGiorgio. So can you tell me about how you, like, why you involved them in the, in the way where you're listening to some of the songs you were writing, you're going, Steve would be perfect for this? No, man, I, I honestly was just writing songs and uh, those guys are my friends. You know, I mean, I talk to them through text all the time. And so I would be, it would be like 2.30 in the morning and I would get you know, uh, a message or something from like Steve DiGiorgio, for example, is a guy that I've always wanted to work with. Uh, I've always had tremendous respect for him and his bass playing. And, and um, you know, we've known each other for 30 plus years. We were on the Raging Death compilation together when we were kids. And, uh, and I, you know, I sent him this music and he was really encouraging um, along with guys like Gene Hoagland and, and Jeff Loomis. And, and uh, those guys were really uh, super encouraging. Like they were like, Oh, I don't, this is really good, Kelly. This is, you know, I don't know what it is, but, uh, but you know, it's, it's, it's really good. So that was uh, inspiring for me. So uh, once I had a few songs done and I knew it was going to be an album, I reached out to Steven and said, Hey man, pick whatever song you want to play on. Will you please play on this record? He was like, fuck. Yeah. And uh, he chose outside the spiral and he did just a, a tremendous job on it. Uh, Fratless space. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I wanted to, you know, Jeff Loomis also is a guy who, you know, I met him, I think when he was 15 years old. Uh, he came to see atheist uh, years ago. And, and it's one of the nice things about being old is, uh, is having this constituency of, of friends that are, that are old and modern heroes, you know what I mean? And uh, so I just, literally as a friend just said, Hey man, will you do solo on this song? I just wrote this song. We check it out. It was very, Oh, by the way, you know, there was no like, Oh, it's going to be on this album. It's going to be this band. It's going to be on this label. He just did it as a friend, you know? And, and so did Steve, you know, there was no, Oh, okay. This is going to be on the label or this is going to come out. They just did it because I asked them to. And, and I love that. I love, uh, it was, it was purely done on a friendship level. And, um, and now, you know, now that it's coming out and it's making an artistic statement, it just makes me really, really happy to have them all involved mm -hmm. in this. And John Longstreth is a guy, you know, who's at the top of the food chain in terms of extreme metal drummers. He's not a guy that I know really, really well. He's just a guy that I have a lot of respect for. And I met him on 70,000 tons of metal. We developed a relationship. And uh, so while I was writing, I wrote this one song called Insistent Demand. And it was a... It was a really weird song. It was way weirder than all the other ones. And, uh, and the drums that I wrote for it initially were cool and everything. But I, I and I thought maybe John, like I was like, I would love to see what a guy like John Longstreth would do on this song. You know what I mean? Like uh, if, if I give it, you know, it, it'll be outside the box of what he's used to playing and what people are used to hearing from him. And uh, and so that's exactly what happened. Like he, you know, he plays his style on on a style of music that he's not accustomed to playing on. And it fucking sounds so cool, man. You know, and it's just like, it's like putting people in awkward positions and seeing how they turn out. You know what I mean? Like musically, when you do that, you get some real magic, you know? And, and that's what happened with, with uh, John's track, I think. And, um, you know, DiGiorgio, listen, you could put him on a, you could put him on a pop song or you could put him on a, you know, I mean, he did all the bass lines for the new Megadeth record. I mean, he's just yeah. a, no. He's just a Johnny on the spot dude, you know, I mean, he's just that, that good. So I never had any, you know, any worry at all. I just say, Hey man, do whatever you want to do on the song. And he did it and it was perfect. And uh, the same with all of them, actually, I never told any of them what to do. The rest mm -hmm. of the album, I was very specific about when I had, um, you know, other people come in and play the rhythm parts. I wanted it to be exactly as I wrote it. But uh, with those guys, I just let them, let them be heroes, man. Cause that's what they are. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah, especially to fans like me. Yeah, what about with the lyrical themes there? Okay, so you're spot on with your comments there about what the US went through, but it was right across the Western Hemisphere, believe me, because I speak to people all over the world, and whether you're in Canada or Britain or the United States or Australia or New Zealand, there's just been this creeping totalitarian left wing overreach, and uh, we're just we're still under the the anvil of it really at the moment. I mean, it's. You only have to read, you know, shithead masters. Did, did, like, did you say a left wing overreach? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You mean so? So you're so you're more in line with the Republican views? 
Um, we don't really have that's we yeah, I would be, yeah, without without a doubt. Yeah, but it's um definitely more centre right than I think you probably find a lot of a lot moderate so, Republican, so you, I suppose. So, you, so so you're you're sort of into the Trump mentality. No, no, I'm not. No, no I want to be clear okay, about so that's that. Right, no. that in, in, in the United States, that's the right wing mentality. Left wing is more liberal, more more democratic, more. Um, so when you say when you say well, radical no, left, well, uh, libertarian. I suppose I'd, if I had to categorize myself from a United States perspective, it'd definitely be libertarian. Okay. Yeah, so, and I think I think that it's good to be a centrist. You know, I mean, uh, there's yeah. the, that's the place you really want to be. That's where everybody should be. That's how the world used to be, where we could agree to disagree, but not this division that's happening right now in politics. And that definitely played a huge role in this record. I, you know, going through COVID and then going through the administration that we had here in the United States was fucking frustrating. And mm-hmm. um, you know, Donald Trump in that era was just embarrassing for this country. And um, you know, the United States of America should be so embarrassed that that they put a guy you know like sleazy slimy guy and in, in charge you don't of such think a biden though is you don't think biden is worse though I, honestly i've got to be frank i think biden's no. far worse oh my worse my goodness no I don't. Let's not get into politics, but I mean, it's a pretty easy call to see the difference between uh, between Biden. And listen, all the politicians, both sides of the aisle, they've all got their secret games going on. So at the end of the day, my problem is the division that they've created between American people. So while you have American people fighting with each other, they're all mm-hmm. both sides of the aisle. Democrats and Republicans are stuffing their pockets with special interest projects and 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 siphoning money out of both sides of us while we argue with each other about about you know who it is that we like but there's no question in my mind that there's a huge difference between the the trump administration and the biden administration like you know uh like just night and day to me so i guess we will have to agree to disagree my friend and that's a beautiful thing brother yeah no that's a great thing and I i have lots of these conversations with artists and uh one of the things that i'd like to see us move forward into is to is to embrace the fact that we can have different perspectives and different opinions and look at you and i you know we're both into extreme metal and heavy metal and that's a great yeah. thing that we can talk about these things. It's I just find uh, I mean I round out the point by saying this, you know, this creep into intersectional politics, you know, critical race theory, these sorts of things is just going to be devastating in the long term. This this whole idea that socialism is the answer to what ails us through capitalism is just wrong at the minute. And uh, that's my view on it. And just whether it's you know I, I don't know what's going to happen. Who knows what's going to happen after the next election cycle? Um, it looks like it's going to be Biden or Harris versus Trump again. And it's not a good place for us to be at. I think we can both agree on that. Uh, listen, I I can't even imagine bringing somebody like Trump back into the mix. I mean, it's just he's rubbed his balls all over democracy and, um, you know, in the rule of law in this country. And, um, you know, there's that just it just can't happen for another four years. He did so much damage to this country and so much division. In my opinion, I wrote, you know, one of the songs on the album is called Invitation. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it's one of my favorite songs on the record and it's a hundred percent, uh, you know, we didn't have to go through the deaths that we went through, uh, during COVID. Um, but we did because we had a fucking knobhead, you know, who has no sense at all or no compassion, a guy who's never wanted for anything a day in his life, uh, running this country. You know, you can at least look at Biden and say the guy grew up as a, as a normal human being. Um, he's been in politics for long enough now to where he's not a normal human being. He doesn't understand what, you know, living paycheck to paycheck is all about. Um, you know, I don't think any of these people do, um, in, in American politics. And I think that's the real problem. My goal is that I hope that people can come together and realize, you know what, we're both, both sides of the aisle, we're both tired of all of you, of all of the people running this country, running the United States. Um, you know, siphoning from our taxes and 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 spending it on things that um you know our the, our military budget, for instance, is just staggering. I mean, you should see the amount of homelessness in in the states. Where are you? Are you where are you? Are you in, in, uh, you south, know, in south of Brisbane? Where yeah, are you? That's right, south of Brisbane, Australia. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. Okay, so so a staggering amount of. I was just on tour with Cynic, and we did a whole North American tour, and you know the amount of homelessness. I just. You know, and, and not everybody that's homeless is a fucking drug addict. You know, people, people live very close to the edge in this mm-hmm. country. And then you have one percent of the of, of this country that lives 
very far from the edge. <laughs> and, uh, and that's, you know, the, the inequality of that is really staggering at this point in, in the United States. So anyway, I really hate to kind of get into that. I just love music, man. You know what I mean? And it's, a, it's such a divisive discussion that, uh, you know, that, and it's really hard to, uh, to, to have without getting hostile because, uh, I feel very, very angered about the Trump administration and, and, uh, the fucking corrupt criminal people that he had run this country for a number of years. And, and the fact that we're still talking about it, um, not to say that Biden is, uh, you know, cream of the crop, but he certainly handled at least a little bit of the, you know, the, he's brought a little bit of the presidency back to, to what it should be, but it's still, it's never been, you know, and Clinton was the last guy to me that ran a country that at least was economically viable for everybody. Everybody did well. Everybody made money. Uh, Bill Clinton was a good president. Obama was a good president to me, was a great president, flawless eight years, no scandals, no bullshit, no indictments. I mean, we're talking about a guy that has 96 fucking count felony counts right now. He's facing uh, tons of sexual assault accusations that, you know, you know, anybody that knows Trump, I've watched Trump. I'm 55 years old. I've watched this asshole for, for a lot of years. You know, I don't know if you have, but he's one of the worst human beings to ever walk the face of the earth, in my opinion. So uh, that's the last guy I want running this country. He, he doesn't represent democracy or, or, or patriotism. You know, he's a, he's not a guy that I'm, I'm a fan of. So I guess we should just agree to disagree. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, it's uh, it's always good to talk about these things, though. I mean, I think we've got a, a, a an obligation, if you like, to if we have an opinion, and here's a key point, not to self-censor. Yeah. I still love you. You still love me. <laughs> We're still good. <laughs> exactly, exactly, brother. Yeah, you know, you know, so. It's okay to debate these things because, believe me, I have a lot of I, – I side with a lot of Republican qualities, but I don't side with Trump qualities. That's mm. not Republican to – you know. No, I can agree with you on that. Don't worry, yeah. Yeah. You know, Ronald Reagan was a guy who was very Republican, but I, but I, you know, I disagree with a lot of his policies, but he was also very, you know, he, 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 you know, you used to be able to work these things out left and right. Now it's mm -hmm. just, and now it doesn't matter what's right and wrong. It's just left and right. And uh, you, you can't, you can't, you know, uh, abide by a policy that a Democrat agrees with or a Dem Democratic party is trying to put across just because you have to agree with with your side that that's where everything has gone wrong yeah, so ideologically motivated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah i know that's a real issue yeah yeah and the way people to your point about the trump thing and and uh even the uh you know the squad thing uh so casio cortez the way people sort of fall in line with their views because ideologically they're motivated that way rather than doing what you just mentioned which is actually sitting back and actually listening to what the policy the value in the policy is and then right. making a judgment call on that one there so i know and and the other thing and the the final point i want to make about it all is i, I would love to see people come, go back to having a very healthy cynicism of governments regardless of who's in power okay this whole Locking idea either. that you have to have a flag out the front of your house with trump on it or biden on it or what have you is just nuts yeah of course i mean listen uh, this fandom you know has never been an yeah. issue with with um with any other presidency that i can recall in in my years of of um i'm right. sorry i have moving to a different different part of the house <laughs> <You're right. laughs> um so I uh, I just think that I have to plug in my phone so I don't lose you. Um, I, I'd love to see I'd love to see you know it, it return to to an era of um, you know where we where we can where we can at least agree to disagree and and agree to to sort of meet each other halfway. I don't think that that's been um, that's been in effect for the last ten years. You know it's just gotten really really bad. Can you see me okay? I can, yeah, yeah, no worries Very at cool. all. Yeah, it, it's the decline of, uh, it's this rise of secularism, the decline of traditional re religion as well. I mean, you probably, like me, you grew up going to church and stuff, and, and you know, that gave us a very solid foundation and, and meaning that we place, Jordan Peterson has a saying that I don't think is his, he's repurposed it, and I'm paraphrasing, it's, uh, for what is Caesar is for Caesar and for what is God is for God, okay? So never shall the twain meet, and they shouldn't, okay? So you shouldn't raise these ideological positions and therefore the people that are at the head of the table of these ideological positions as higher than God or even equal to God, okay? Because they're not. They're human beings. They're fallible. They're completely corruptible. We, we know that. But it's to your point, and I've, I've long said this actually in my own conversations with people, it's, it's like it's moved into fandom 
what you just mentioned, like these fans, they're ideological fans, and they pe- people will support no matter what come what what whatever is in is encompassed within the ideology, they will back regardless of the common sense perspective. And that's exactly that's, it's crazy, mate. That we that's got to that shit goes south. Yeah, yeah. We, we can't have that. And also in, in the United States, what's happening is the separation of church and state is, you know, those lines are being blurred now by, you know, I live in Florida where we have Governor DeSantis, who mm. is a, a fucking fascist. You know, I mean, the guy is literally dictating what my, my I have a six year old son who goes to school. You know, he wants to hang the Ten Commandments in the classrooms. Uh, it already says in God we trust in the office of his school. Um, I have a fucking big problem with that. You know, our forefathers mm. put in place the separation of church and state for a fucking reason. You know, there are 490 plus denominations of religion. It's a belief. It's not a, it's not a fact. And, it, and uh, you know, the denial of science in the United States is, is a, is a staggering detriment to, to this country, um, you know, to the world really, uh, because, you know, the United States is supposed to be, you know, a leader in, in, uh, in, 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 you know, moving forward and trying to pr- preserve the planet and, and our ability to live here. And, um, and we've just, I've never been more embarrassed to be an American, you know, and I know a lot of people will fucking get cringe about that, but, but, uh, I'm, I'm embarrassed that, that we've allowed our, we've allowed this country to become a TMZ country. You know what TMZ is? Yeah. Like in yeah. America, TMZ yeah, is like too, a, yeah. uh, it's gross, man. And, um, and so the rule of law has just gone out of the, out of the, out of the, out of the room. And, uh, it's just really about, and I don't think that, you know, it's very dangerous when there's a, there's a real cult like quality that's happening with this Trump movement, um, and the Republican movement in, in the United States. It's, it's to the point where, and it's, there's not a lot of intelligent people on that side of the, <laughs> the coin, man. I mean, uh, you know, when, when, when presented with facts, they still go, you know what? I don't care. He's my president. And that's dangerous. That's, that's, uh, that's, you know, that's not, you know, presidents aren't supposed to be carrying that kind of weight, um, for, for people, you know, for people to, to put all that weight into. I, I just, you know, anyway, it, uh, you know, I'm surprised there aren't more punk rock bands out right now. Cause you remember the eighties and Reagan, the whole, hmm. that whole era created so much great punk rock. People were Rush, so fucking exactly. angry. Yeah. But I can't believe that, um, that punk rock hasn't made a, like real punk rock, not Green Day bullshit, but like real punk rock <laughs> hasn't made a resurgence, you know, because there's a lot of shit to be angry about. And uh, so maybe metal in a, in a small way, uh, uh, you know, portrays a little bit of that. I, I know that I did a couple of times on this record where, um, you know, it's always hard too, because you automatically know if, you know, like I said, I had that song Invitation on the Till the Dirt record. It's mm-hmm. very anti-Trump. So the automatically, I know that 50% of, of the country is going to hate that song, <laughs> but you really got to, you got to take that risk. You know I mean? You got to say, hey, look, well, do you agree with me or not? This is how I feel. And I'm entitled in this country to, to say how I feel about something. And, um, you know, if you want to debate it, let's debate it. We don't have to hate each other over it, but we can debate and not hate, you know, that's what this country needs more than anything is the ability to, uh, to agree to disagree. You know? Just have conversations like what we're doing now. Let this be a, a beacon for people listening and say, hey, just have a conversation with someone who has a different perspective to the newest. It's not even about learning things. It's about just being civil. It's about breaking bread yeah. and reaching across the yeah, aisle learn, and shaking learn hands. From each yeah. other. Yeah. yeah, you may say something and I go, you know what? You're right. And that's the key too, to know when you're wrong, know when you might be wrong and say, you know what? You might be right. I don't know. Here's how I feel now, but what you say makes sense to me. Let me think about it. And, uh, and let me go on, but it's not, it's fuck you, fuck you and fuck yeah. Biden and fuck, you know, let's go Brandon and this stupid TMZ quality of, um, this, this really, really, um, I don't know. I can't explain it. It's, it's, uh, it's really bad in the United States and, and I don't, I don't know really how to, uh, to describe it, but it's, I don't know if it's that way there, but it's, uh, it's, it's a really scary time. in America. I mean, we're, we're on the verge of a civil war. Even you think so? Do you feel that way? Oh my goodness, yes. I mean, listen, if the shit goes down with Trump, it's about to go down with all these indictments. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think it's a, a stretch to think that there's going to be a, uh, you know, there's going to be a bit of a civil war uh, between uh, the parties because you know as well as I do from past experience that if he if he is able to run again and he loses, which I feel he will, 
um, they're not going to accept it. And that's been always the foundation of, of democracy is the ability to, you know, to, uh, to accept the outcome of an election. And when, when you get to, when you get to the point where you, you can't trust your elections, now you're in a third world political mind frame. And, uh, I, man, I'd never, I never in a million years imagined that we would get to that place. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of disappointing and heartbreaking, but, um, you know, I tell my mom, my mom is 78 years old and she, she watches the news every day and she gets so angry and we talk about it all the time mm -hmm. and, and, uh, the things that make us angry. And I tell her that just don't worry about it, mama. You know I mean? Uh, you're 78, just enjoy your life. You've had a great life. You worked hard, done great things. Um, you know what I mean? You're not going to have to be around to see it. But, mm -hmm. uh, but I think about my little boy and how, you know, what his life is going to be like at 40. I don't know. I just can't imagine. Um, he's six right now. So, th you know, 36 years from now, <laughs> I can't imagine what life is going to be like. When I think about 36 years ago and how life was and how different it is now, both technology wise and politically, uh, I can't imagine what 40 years from now is going to be like, but I won't be here, but I, uh, you know, I, uh, I definitely, uh, I find a lot of room for, for songwriting in the, in the anger and the frustration of it. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I'm hearing you, mate. And we, look, we're better off for it because look at this great album that you've. Uh, yeah, however, however, you're inspired to create the music you are. Let it continue to inspire you based on what you've done here with uh, outside the spiral. So I want to I want to ask a bit of a, a bit of a different question for you because as I said, I am an old fan. I've had an awareness of you now for decades, you know. And uh, you're one of those those artists. So I went through a boarding school and I'd hear your music late at night, you know, lying in bed there and listening to it and just. You know, you're in far-flung Florida, and uh, I'd always sort of imagine watching you guys live, and I haven't had that opportunity to do that yet, obviously, with Till Atheist or Till the Dirt yet. But one of those players who just, being a bass player, that just really rocked my socks and still does is Roger, Roger Patterson. So oh. can, can you can, what can you share about Roger that, that hasn't been mentioned or that, that you feel needs to be mentioned about him as a person? Um. So Roger was my roommate, like before he died, before we went on that tour, he was my roommate and, uh, and, you know, probably one of my best friends. He was just, I guess, you know, it's funny how people get immortalized in death, you know, um, and, and people will think a particular way. But yeah. if I were to say anything about Roger is he was a simple, very simple, unassuming talent. So like he was, he was just this kid who loved to smoke cigarettes and get high and play metal. Like it was that simple. He didn't want to work. He didn't want to, you know, he, he didn't want to, uh, try to find a career. You know, the, he, he, all he wanted to do was play bass, smoke cigarettes and fucking get high and hang out with his girlfriend. It was that pure and that honest. And I think that man, you know, that's a, that's a really, you know, <laughs> he, he, uh, you know, maybe, maybe some people will be like, Oh, it's no way to live. That's not very responsible, but, but it created this incredible musician. Because all he did was sit on the edge of his bed and play bass. And, um, you know, he wrote from a point of, uh, of purity. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, while he was influenced by a lot of, he was influenced by a lot of things that you would never hear in his music. Like he was a big Gene Simmons fan. Like I fucking hate Kiss. Like I don't like Kiss at all. And I, I don't like Gene Simmons as a human being. I don't, I don't, I never thought he was a great bass player. I never had respect for him. But Roger loved Gene Simmons. So you wouldn't think a guy with the complexity of, you know, Roger's ability to love a guy that played so simple, uh, but he did, you know? And um, so I think that's something I would love for people to know about Rogers. <laughs> you know, he was not interested in building a career or maybe he would be an insurance guy someday, or maybe after music's over, he's going to be there. No, no, no. It was music or nothing for him. And, um, and I think that that's a, you know, it's a pure quality, you know, it's organic and, and, uh, and I always respected that about him, you know, and I don't think a lot of people, you know, it's been 32 plus years that he's been dead. Um, you know, it doesn't really get told very often about him, but just an incredible natural ability to play, um, very uninfluenced, but at the same time influenced by the, the right things. Like he had a good, he had good bones, so to speak, um, mm -hmm. in terms of his, uh, you know, the, the, the guys that he, that he grew up listening to, whereas a lot of um, modern metal guys, you know, their, their history starts with extreme metal. Like they don't go back to the deep purples, to the Zeppelins, yeah. to the, you know, to all that. And I, I would encourage all young 
you know, 16 to 23 year old extreme metal kids to go back, listen to Zeppelin, listen to Deep Purple, listen to all that shit, Uriah Heep, you know, you're going to find a lot of great qualities to incorporate into your modern metal if you go back to those those influences. And so Roger had a lot of those. Hmm. Was Tony the obvious choice to replace it or did you have to really go through a rigmarole to find somebody? Well, there weren't a lot of people back then. Um, I don't know how old you are, but it's, it's uh, you know, the, I always say that the, there wasn't a talent pool. It was a talent puddle. And uh, <laughs> there weren't many people that could play bass like that uh, back then. So Doug Kaiser from Watchtower was the first guy that we asked uh, because he had come to the show about 10 days before Roger died. And, um, and you know, we were all huge Watchtower fans. And uh, Doug Kaiser was, you know, I was hard pressed to find anybody that plays bass any better than that guy. I mean, he was just fucking mm. unbelievable. And um, so Roger uh, got a Polaroid. That's how old, <laughs> that's how old <laughs> we are. He had a Polaroid picture of him and Doug, and he got buried with that photograph. So, you know, he was, Doug Kaiser was the very first guy that we asked. And Doug was like, uh, yeah, it's not my style. And, and, you know, and he didn't realize that, you know, that Atheist would be a band that would end up surviving, you know, the, the, you know, 30 years or whatever. So, um, so he didn't do it. So yeah, Tony Troy was, uh, you know, Cynic was our sister band, so to speak. They were the first band that we met, uh, in the scene that we felt, um, a kindred nature to, you know, we were listening to the same music. We, we subscribed to the same philosophy of, um, you know, jazz fusion, uh, complexity mixed with extreme metal. And, uh, you know, the early cynic was very heavy and, and, um, much different than the, the you know, the modern cynic, which is, uh, extremely technical, but not as heavy. So, um, but we were different bands, but, uh, but I think that, um, you know, Tony Choi was just the guy that we knew could, could do it. And, um, and he did, you know, he did a fantastic job. We had, eight weeks to uh from the time roger died to the time we recorded unquestionable presence and we had demos because a lot of that material was already written um there was just a couple uh and the psychic saw and mother man were two songs that weren't quite finished and tony helped us finish those songs so um yeah he, he uh but different styles you know tony was more of a um <clears throat> a slap bass player more latin influenced more uh rhythmic um, less aggressive, less attack. Uh, Roger attacked like he played like very hard, he used all five fingers, which you don't see a lot of bass players do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he used his pinky and everything on his on his picking hand. You know, he was just a, a really aggressive player. So Tony played with a little more um, finesse. You know, and and uh, and had a because he was Latin, he had just a natural rhythmic quality to him uh, that was different than Roger. But uh, he did a fantastic job, yeah. Yeah, gotcha. It's very interesting seeing those videos of Tony playing in that. It's a Latin pop band, isn't it? You know, he goes from yeah. you guys and then he's playing in a Latin pop band, which is their version of a boy band in a way, isn't it? Yeah, that was one of the things that kept him from, you know, being a part of the early 2000 era of, of, uh, of Atheist. You know, he was playing on cruise ships and doing different things. And, um, you know, t Tony's, um, Tony's always been about the business side of, of music. Like, you know, some of us are, we'll do it for 15 cents, you know, uh, we'll do it to lose money. Uh, Tony was always a guy that was very interested in, in making it worth his while. And I don't mean that as a disrespect. I just mean that he, in order to get into play, you had to have enough money involved for him to, uh, because he had other opportunities to go and make money. Um, for me, it's never been about money. It's always been about the metal. And, um, so even if it cost me, I would still do it. You know what I mean? Uh, I just, I don't know any other way of life. I love yeah, it so much yeah. that, I, that I would pay, I would pay to do it. <laughs> no, that's great. But that's I what have, we love about you. You know, I've in a lot of ways paid to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. Yeah. Why did you, why did you decide to regroup the band in the early 2000s? Um, so when I got done, I was in a band called Neurotica and we had a really good run for about eight years. And we signed with uh, Vince McMahon and the WWE uh, label called SmackDown Records. And we had, we played Oz Fest in 2002 and had some moderate success on the radio. And um, when that band broke up, I just kind of, um, you know, I, I, I didn't think anybody cared about Atheist anymore. I didn't have any of the albums anymore. I didn't have copies of them. And so that was in the early days of the internet. And I went on eBay and tried to buy copies. And I realized they were really expensive. They were like $150 for a used mm -hmm. copy. And I thought, 
that's terrible, you know, and I knew that the original label that had put those records out um, breached contract and never paid us for for any of those old albums. And um, so I took a chance and started my own label and bought recordings of the album and basically bootlegged, you know, the atheist albums <laughs> and, uh, and created new versions of them remastered and um, with new liner notes and new art. Um, with relapse and uh licenses to relapse and um when you know when it came out it was uh i just realized that people had not forgot about atheist the internet had created this new group yeah. of young young metalheads that were uh, just discovering it for the first time because of the internet and um i just didn't realize that that was the case and so once i did um we decided to do a bunch of shows and then we did some festivals bach and hellfest and and uh, we realized then that there was this young constituency of metalheads that were uh that really understood it for the first time they appreciated the technicality we weren't the outsiders anymore you know um because many times back in the early days of atheist it, there was no one for i mean they put us on tour with cannibal mass and they put us on tour with cannibal corpse they could they didn't there was nowhere to put us mm. you know there's no no band package that that fit for us and so um so now fast forward to 2005 or six and uh you know there's an appreciation for technical metal now there's uh, a lot of bands you know what used to be just a stump is now this tree with all these branches of all these different kinds of technical bands and um so we didn't know you know we didn't know that that was the case until we went to europe and played those shows and we came home and just we we're like wow and so for a few years we just played shows and we were offered to do a new record and we just didn't know that we'd ever be able to recreate that same vibe you know that same quality and we didn't want to mess up the uh you know the the legacy of the, the band legacy. yeah so it, it took a lot it took michael barbarian from season of mist who i i give him all the credit in the world because he just stayed on us and said please do a new record please do a new record and he finally you know he just said look here's the money do a new record so me and steve i flew to atlanta georgia and we got in a room together and we wrote second to sun from jupiter um it was the first song we wrote together and i realized at that point that there was a tremendous chemistry that was still there uh, mm -hmm. that we didn't realize was was there and um so that was a lot of fun you know to, to write that record and, and come back and and um you know after i don't know 15 or 16 years of being gone and um you know that that you know it brought back a lot of memories and a lot of fun um and you and, and and with atheist you can you know you can kind of do whatever you want to do you know there are no rules and and what we're allowed to play <laughs> so uh that was a refreshing feeling coming away from what i had just come from with neurotica which was you know rock radio you know slash metal you know it was just a a different a different industry so um so we made that record and uh and yeah and i just you know, none of us ever expected any of that to, uh, to to come to fruition. So it happened very organically. Apart from music, you're also, I, I certainly I'm aware of your artwork as well. So would you say that you're a musician who dabbles in art or you're an artist that dabbles in music or is it something that is, that is in between? So I started off in high school playing um I mean, uh, painting. So I went to a performing arts, uh, performing arts school. And, uh, before I played guitar, I was painting and drawing. And, um, I, I'd, um, yeah, I thought that maybe I would be an artist, you know, and that that would be my thing. And uh, I always loved drawing and, and painting and, and creating. And, um, I saw this guy in my high school that was playing guitar and all these people were sitting, all these girls were sitting around him. <laughs> I was playing guitar and I was like, shit, you know, there's never anything I'm ever going to paint or draw. that's ever going to make eight chicks sit around me. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, when you're young that's the stupid shit you think about, you know? And so that's what made me start playing guitar. <laughs> and I, I was like, man, I want people to sit around me on a stool while I'm playing Zeppelin or whatever. And, um, so I would have to say that I, I'm, I'm both, you know, I'm, uh, I'm an artist who, who plays music and also I, mean, I dabble, I guess I'm, you know, I, I've got a leg on a leg on the dock and a leg on the boat. <laughs> yeah. It's a good way of you describing know? it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, anybody go and check out uh, Kelly's art actually out there because it's some, it's some good stuff. I like what you do. Um, actually. Yeah. It. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, so you got time this... where I did, where I wasn't able to make music. That was the time, mm-hmm. uh, especially when I first had my daughter in 2006. I was, you know, that was I was 38 years old, and I was like, it was my first child, and or you know, my first child that I've had to take care of. I have an older son uh, who I didn't meet till he was 17, but it was the first child that I raised, and I, um, so I was home a lot, and I would. I couldn't smoke in the house. I could smoke in the garage. And so I set up an easel and, uh, and I would have a canvas out there. And every time I went to go smoke a cigarette, I would work on paintings. And, and, uh, so I, I did like a hundred paintings in, in a two year period. <laughs> and, okay. uh, so I'm just that way. Like when I, when I get on a binge, I, you know, almost like a drug addict, you know, except a positive drug addict, you know, it's not drugs, it's art. So I'm an yeah. art addict. <laughs> you get the serotonin kick from it. Yeah. Have you, have you jumped I over do, to I really do. Have you jumped over the, to the Adobe Suite yet, Photoshop and Illustrator, and started doing art, art on them? I have not. I, I I struggle with that because I feel like there's a little bit of cheating involved in that. You know what I mean? Like I, I just, I really loved it. I love the natural. I love the I love the flaws. I feel like digital art. There are no there aren't many flaws in digital art. There's too many too many too much safeguard, uh, too many, too many nets under the wire. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I like to, uh, I like mistakes. I think some of the greatest moments in art are mistakes. And, um, and so, so I don't, I haven't, I haven't really dabbled in any of that at all. I do appreciate people that are great graphic artists. I use them on a regular basis, <laughs> you know, to put things together for me, uh, for social media, but I love just a canvas, a guy, some paintbrushes and some color. And whatever happens, happens, you know, um, but maybe I'm wrong, you know, maybe five years from now, I'll, uh, you know, it, it is, a, in all honesty, it's a world that I don't understand very well. You know, the, the, you know, the Photoshop world and what's possible. And, uh, I do see some incredible things that are done with that, it, but it's just not in my headspace for some reason yet. Maybe it will be in the future. Yeah. Check it out. I think you'd be really good at it based on what I've seen. And it's, um, yeah, it's uh, it's it, it takes some time to get used to. I, I work in a lot of photoshopping, but I, I'm in the media space, not in the creative space, if you like. Uh, all of my yeah. own artwork for the show I do in Photoshop and Illustrator as well. And once you learn a few tools, it's as much time in the day and in your life as you've got. You can keep on learning things with these things. They're unlimited, is what I'm saying. So you can do very basic things like what I do, or you can go much more complicated like what an artist uh, called Mark Cooper, one of your fellow Floridians, uh, what he does. He plays vast universe spaces that look like uh, as though you're in an acid trip. Um, well, I think that, yeah, I think that, um, if you look at the outside the spiral video, um, that was done by a friend of mine named Jordan Hartman, who, um, you know, obviously AI is this fickle thing that everybody's sort of either into or not into. And, and there's a lot of varying opinions about AI art and, mm-hmm. and the, the huge influx of, of what's happening with, with AI. And, um, and I, and I'm on the fence about it as well. I, you know, I know it's going to, it's going to change everything the way the internet changed everything. And, um, so I think, uh, I don't know, you know, I, I would probably dip into the, I'm I'm more intrigued with the AI than I am the the graphic art aspect. I don't know how similar they are. I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking out of line, but no, very similar. No, you can basically, I can put in a few key search terms into uh, a few things like chat GPT and it'll bring up art. And then you just tailor it from there. It's basically turning people who aren't artists into artists in a way. Yeah, that's amazing. I think that that's a I, don't, I think that's a positive quality in a way because uh, I know how it makes me feel to create something. And there's a lot of people that aren't creative that I wish that I could give them a little creativity so they could feel what I feel when I create something because it is an it is an unusually great feeling to create something from scratch even if it is digital, you know, and you're not creating it from scratch, you're still putting your own twist on something. Uh, and you know, the average person's not going to be able to do that, but, and feel good about it, you know, uh, because they, you know, they can barely draw a stick figure, but if you could take chat GPT and, and say, uh, you know, I don't know, I want to see a Viking in a, in a desert with, um, dolphins and all of a sudden it creates something and then you take that and then and take it somewhere else you know then at least you can use your creativity even if you weren't the person who created the actual art that you're looking at you know you steered that art in a, in a particular direction so i think that's a positive 
Yeah, I think you've got a great take on it. That's what it is. There's a lot of artists that are very afraid of it, but um, it'll start to influence itself. It'll start to be inspired by its own creations at some point, this artificial intelligence, and it won't even be drawing on the greats Michelangelo uh, and this sort well, of let thing. Me, you know, can... Let me give you an example. I mean, on the Tilda Dirt record, I used all... I used all plugins for the guitars. So mm. all the, you know, the guitars that you're hearing are plugins. So they're not, I'm not with, I'm not sitting there with a cabinet and a head and a microphone on a speaker, mm. you know what I mean? A traditional sense in a room, you know, where, you know, you capture this sound, the sound has already been captured and I just used that captured sound. So that's, that's AI. You know, I, t I took a sound that, oh, my God, this sound is great on my guitar. It makes me play in a particular way. Uh, you know, those sounds inspired me to write the riffs that are on that album. So, you know, a person who's not an artist could also take an image and say, oh, you know, this would be so much cooler if, if I could do this to it. And the, the fact that you can do that to it um makes it their own you know and, and, and uh, allows them to to be able to ex experiment with uh something that's predisposition so i'm working with a with a really great mesa boogie head with a, with a perfect cabinet you know and a perfect mic setup and i can just crunch 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 through my riffs and it sounds a way that i probably wouldn't be able to create if i bought my own rig or if mm -hmm. i went to a studio and tried to set it up you know what i mean i'm you know the best producers in the world have created these plugins that are um, that, you know, and they spend a lot of time capturing and modeling those sounds. Hmm. And uh, that's very much AI, I think in a lot of ways. So I guess I'm guilty of using it as well, but you know, it's all in how you use it, you know, using art, yeah. um, you know, just take it as long as you're moving it forward, then, then to me, I'm cool with it. You know, it's, it's all about people that lean on the boulder as opposed to moving the boulder. Um, yeah. I, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm just a fan of that. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, no question. Yeah. Look, I'll, I'll make this my final question for you. So you obviously know now that there's a huge buzz around what you're doing with Tilda Dirt and indeed this album uh, Outside the Spirals. So is is it in your future? Is it, is it a possibility that you're going to bring that down and maybe even atheist as well? Absolutely. 100%. I can tell you that, you know, our management's already working on um, a trip to uh, to Australia, New Zealand, Japan next year. Um, mm -hmm. We want to come over and play. Uh, we have a 30th anniversary set. I mean, the guys that are in the band right now with Atheist, three of the guys are in Till the Dirt with me as well. Um, so, you know, it's just a great group of musicians, really good human beings, super talented young visionaries you know i mean i just can't say enough about them so yeah both bands i mean i till the dirt is not a side project it's not a you know it's it's a fucking band you know and i can't wait to play these songs live i feel um it's the first record i've ever made where the songs weren't ever you know typically you write a record and you you play it you know you rehearse it and then you record it and then you go out and play it live this was all created in the studio almost like steely dan you know, in a way. And uh, so <laughs> nice. I've never been able to, I've never been able to hear this music played, you know I mean? It's never been performed. Mm. And um, so I look forward to that. I feel like these songs are only going to get better because, um, you know, in a live setting, I feel like they're going to be heavier and more effective and impactful. Uh, so yeah, both I, at, at minimum, you will definitely see atheist in 2024 in Australia. And, um, you know, we have a great relationship with pull the plug patches Simon and and uh, he's yeah. over there and and, and um, he sponsored our North American tour um, that company did and and so yeah we hope to be able to have them sponsor the tour and and get over there as soon as possible it's been far too long we should have been there years and years ago but at minimum you'll see Atheist and hopefully if everybody likes the Till the Dirt record and everything continues to be as exciting as it has been then um, you know we'll be able to the, the cool thing about it like I said is that I you know anywhere Atheist is Till the Dirt is almost there as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, all those guys are in, the, you know, the same guys are in the band. So, you know, we could very well come over, do a couple of Atheist shows, stick around for a couple of days and then do a couple of Till the Dirt shows. And um, so that's kind of a cool, uh, a cool situation to be in. So, yes, cannot wait to come come down there. I hope that happens, mate. But in particular, I'm really keen to hear. I love Atheist, but I love this album too. So I'm, I'm really Thank keen you. to hear how you bring this one to life. And and, and, and you so you've, been, you've been very intelligent about it from the perspective that you're using, you're sharing band members across both projects. So I mean, I, you know, I know it's tough for you because you've, you've got a, they're very different styles of music in in a lot of ways. And 
you know, I was, who was I speaking to that did do two shows? So I, the point's going to be redundant now because I can't remember who it was. But uh, someone that I was talking to not that long ago in the last 12 months that was actually doing that, there was two bands and they had to open for themselves effectively and then <laughs> and then um, go on. And they they, they did say, uh, Devin Townsend also told me when he was doing all of his stuff and trying to combine it, really took it out of him so he wouldn't do it again. So, But Australia, well, there's only really five cities to play down here, so, you know, maybe it could happen. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it in the same night. I would do them in separate nights. I would never do like Till the Dirt and Atheist in the same day. Um, mm. I feel like you know I, I would just set up two separate um, nights of because they really are two headspaces altogether. But uh, using the same musicians to me, uh, as long as those musicians are you know high quality, you know able to play anything, I, you know there's no point in me looking elsewhere. Like I love the guys that are playing with me in Atheist right now. They're so fucking good. And they play this music better than we played it when we originally wrote it. And uh, mm -hmm. I mean, just the precision picking and uh, the timing and the and the the um, energy that they bring to to this music. So the same applies to Till the Dirt. You know, even though they didn't write it, they're playing it with a fire and a fury of a of a young man. You know what I mean? And uh, that's mm -hmm. what's needed. And also, they have a technical capability of of um, you know of pulling it all off. So uh, I think at the end of the day, that's my that's my only requirement. So there's really no no need to go and find it entirely you know another five it's really hard to find four people to be married to in a, in a musical marriage yeah, <laughs> so once you find the four that you you really love and care about there's no reason to go find four more just because it's a different band as long as those guys are great musicians and they're able to play different kinds of music and they are then uh yeah that's why three of them are um you know are until the dirt with me so uh yeah i cannot wait to come down there so I look forward to sharing a beverage with you, my friend. Absolutely, and we can talk brother. shit to each other about our opposite political <laughs> beliefs. <laughs> I look forward to it, mate. It'd be great to catch up and have a beer and, and continue that, that type of a conversation. Listen, yeah, thank you yeah. so much for your early love for Till the Dirt. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having an open mind uh, and letting me be somebody different as, as, a, as a musical fan. Thank you. I appreciate oh, it so you, much. Mate. No, my, my pleasure, mate. And thank you for making the music that you've made. It's been a companion for many years, decades. So there you thank go. You. <laughs> it means the world to me. Thank you. Thanks, brother. All right, we'll have a great rest of the, the, I suppose it's the evening there. So great rest of the night, mate, and see you down here soon. You as well. See you soon. Cheers. Thanks, brother. Well, there you have it. The great Kelly Schaefer, everybody. Proof that you don't need to share the same political views to have a killer conversation. Yes, indeed. I wish a bit more of that would go on out there with my fellow podcasters. It's important that uh, every subject is on the table and we do not self-censor. Okay, there is there are far more conversations similar to that one over at scarsandguitars.com. And whilst you're there, check out the link in the banner, which will take you to a marketplace where you can download a copy of my book. Because I know you're a smart audience. You don't just like listening, you like reading too. And there's proof of that because many of you are buying the book. You can download a sample and if you do complete the purchase, hit me up because I want to thank you personally. There's some more information to share with you about the book in the moment. Before we get to that, I'll bid you a farewell. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast. Until next time, it's a goodbye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying power of the I, of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that, yes, 
playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Ball Gear write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, 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 just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldina. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was, he was very, you know, very open-minded and and he was into having his his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for, for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five and Manson gave me that name and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book. <laughs>